1: This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel podcast network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we're talking next gen ATP Finals with our dear friend, Crack Rackets contributor Damien Kust. I want to run you through all eight of our participants in this year's field, and there is no better person to talk about these players with than our dear friend Damien, who of course covered them throughout the course of the season on the ATP Challenger Tour. We talk about which of these eight guys have the highest prospects moving forward in their careers. We talk about the results we saw so far in group play and so much more. It is a fantastic conversation that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, if you're looking for more tennis talk, head on over to our mini break podcast feed. It's award show season. We're handing out our 2023 hardware for the WTA and ATP seasons. It'll be David Kane, Gil Gross joining me on those podcasts. So if you aren't already, go like, rate subscribe review to those shows you can follow us on all social media at cracked rackets i am on twitter at a l gruskin with that said though let's get to it it's a fantastic podcast talking all things next gen atp finals with the one and only damien koost Joining us on the podcast today for the first time in far too long is someone you all know best as one of your favorite follows on Tennis Twitter, the man who hosts the Monday edition of the Great Shot Podcast, where he breaks down each and every exciting week on the ATP Challenger Tour. That, of course, makes him the perfect guest for today's conversation, talking all things next-gen ATP Finals, and this week... On the ATP Challenger Tour, it's our dear friend Damien Koost joining us once again. Damien, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. As I said to start, first time in far too long. How are you doing, my friend?
0: Great. I mean, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year, probably. You know, the next gen finals, I sort of treated as a challenger. If any of you guys listened to the Monday edition um, of the Great Shot podcast, as you said, the, the challenger recap, I actually even previewed the event there. Just because I figured like just like some qualifying I do that there I mean Next Gen Finals is essentially a bit of a challenger to most of these guys maybe besides Fiends I mean have been playing the Challenger Tour constantly in 2023 he of course had uh, you know a long period of playing in 2022 even some 2021 appearances I think I'm going to recap it on the on the new episode as well and I guess as as we're sort of shamelessly plugging but actually not shamelessly plugging since it's the same podcast feed <laughs> I'm also going to say that three of these Next Gen Finals contestants were actually on the show already. Uh, Striker very recently is moneying uh, Koboli, I think, a couple of times this year in for Hervar and Damderit, and Majedovic twice as well, I think once in March, yeah, and once in 2022. So, uh, all the more reasons to check it out. Um, yeah, and then of course, these are the guys that I am really excited about. These are the guys that I'm really hyping up throughout the year on tennis Twitter, on the show. So, uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorite events of the season and as well, of course, the four challengers, I actually would prefer it if they just kept, you know, the four challengers and then the next gen finals so that I wouldn't like have to um, basically I would be able to focus on one thing and then the other. But of course, for the players, it wouldn't be ideal to extend this even, you know, one more week into the season. So I, I, I'm fine with that.
1: No, and I know you would advocate for the return of the ATP Challenger Finals oh, as well. The eight guys who earned the most points at that level once upon a time did all assemble for an event like the Next Gen Finals, like the ATP Tour Finals, and... Look, it's not a shameless plug. You're right. We're on the same podcast. I appreciate the plug always. I appreciate the work you have done being on the grounds at so many different events, speaking to these players. I want to ask you about that at the end of today's show. But you talk about the next gen finals and its place in the broader ecosystem of the current ATP landscape. And. You know, again, there's been some talk about the lackluster crowds that we have seen so far through this event. I don't really want to focus on that aspect. I want to talk about the significance of this event more broadly. And I talked about that when I previewed this event on Tuesday on the mini break. The idea that the person who has won this event historically has gone on to a lot of success the following is one one
0: exception, right? Well,
1: (laughs) obviously, the most dramatic example was... The Hyun Chung first year where he goes to the semifinals right away. Pas did the same thing the following year. And you wonder, is there a trend? Sinner wins it in 19. Alcaraz wins it in 21. And then, yes, Brandon Nakashima did not have the greatest 2023 season. Perhaps he will be the exception, not the rule. But the reason I bring up those winners is I do think the players who play this event, they feel the significance of this title, the idea of competing against their best peers at the end of the season. One final event, yes, it's a shortened format, yes, it's a no-add scoring, but I feel the intensity in these matches. I see it in the body language of a guy like Ahmed Yedovic and a guy even like an Arthur Feath, who top 40 in the world regardless of coming to this event and yet for him to go 3-0 and in the group play, kind of remind the crowd, no, this, this event runs through me. There's significance in this event, right? It's not just another money-making grab
0: yeah i mean these guys have for the most part known each other for years right they've mostly played junior tennis against each other i mean we literally have a semi-final now that was a final of a junior grand slam two years ago so uh yeah i i think it's very important for them to compete there i know that shelton and musetti didn't come it's kind of you know understandable for me that if you're at a certain stage of your career maybe it's not for you anymore but if you're just like looking. For that uh, spotlight, you know, in order to show yourself to the crowd for the first time, and yeah, just compete at a very fun event with some of your best buddies and some of your, you know, best peers. Why, why not? I mean, it's it's definitely also very good for them financially. I don't know if most of these players actually have you know money issues because well, they're so young and so good, so they get all the sponsorships. But still, it's it's good help into uh, 2024, you know, into the next season. So yeah, I think there's a lot of desire to win it for sure. We've been seeing that. Maybe someone that we we were sort of wondering about was Fields, right? Because, well, he is already at that stage where we were thinking whether he actually competes at the next gen finals, whether there's sense, whether there's any point in him doing that. He even said after the Paris loss to Altmaier, right, that he was exhausted with the season, he withdrew from Mets. We didn't know if him finishing the season actually means next gen finals as well or not, apparently not. And he's fighting. I mean, he had like a one and a half sets where he was disengaged. And I didn't like that. But of course, then, you know, he shows his class. He shows, um, I mean, he beats all the people in the group and he gets to a semi. So I think everyone is is just, you know, absolutely absolutely hungry to win this event um actually when i talked to koboli a couple of weeks ago he was just like i just want to get there as soon as possible you know i don't (laughs) i don't really care about next week he actually withdrew from next week a couple uh, from next week's event in uh, valencia a couple of hours earlier i just want to get there as soon as possible it's so exciting and yeah i I feel like they're all having a lot of fun while still you know having their competitive drive
1: yeah, you was reported $150,000 just for showing up, and yeah. <laughs> that, that finances your trip to Australia. Probably gets you through the Sunshine Swing as well if you're knocking on the door of qualifying there, if everything breaks right. And yeah, the level I think has been very delightful, not just this year, but even last year when the names were a little bit light. I love the concept that, okay, they didn't play this year, but Elkarez and Runa could also both still play next year. If they wanted to. And I just like if they're like, you know what? We're going to do it one more time. We're both going to play. We'll take the money. Why not? Um,
0: well, I, I think right now there's this thing where if you are in the ATP finals, you are automatically uh, just withdrawn. you know forbidden to compete. Yeah, oh, basically. Well, that's um, fun. I think that's how they announced it that Alcaraz and Rune are out because they are playing the ATP Finals, whereas Shelton and Musetti, you know, it's their choice, like whatever reason they stated. I don't, I don't remember, but yeah, I think, I think they actually announced it. They're actually announcing it now. As if you're playing the ATP Finals, you cannot play the Next Gen Finals.
1: And that custom was started. Zverev pulled out. Tsitsipas did it as well. We've seen multiple. I think every year one player who has been eligible for the Next Gen Finals has been in the ATP Tour Finals, but. Even again, beyond that, you still get to see the best of the best young prospects in the world all together in one location competing. And, you know, again, I want to ask you about all of the guys here. I'm not going to keep you too long. Don't worry. But you started right away talking about Arthur Fee and what the 19-year-old has done this season, dare I say, the first exciting, capital E, exciting French men's tennis prospect probably since the days of Gasquet, Monfils, Simone, Songa. The thing that I have been most focused on as I look towards 2024 from a rankings perspective for the 19-year-old, he's 36 in the world. He won one main draw match at the Slams last year, and that is just the lowest hanging fruit for him to move forward in the rankings because the idea that he won't make at least one third round, let alone a fourth round maybe as a seed at some point throughout the course of the 2024 season, that just feels very much in the cards for a guy who won his first tour level title this year, who made another final on a different surface, made a semifinal at a 500 level on clay, beating Casper Rude, and has just looked dominant going 3-0 and this week. I get it. He was pushed to five sets in his opening match and was a little sloppy out of the gates against Nardi. I also thought Nardi just came out swinging in that opening match. But when you watch Arthur Fee, what do you see as his upside moving forward? Are you ready to look as recent as 2024 and say, you know, maybe he does make a sinner in Alcaraz type leap right away, not winning majors, but like, again, being in that top 10 ATP finals mix. This is a guy to Go full circle here. He's eligible for this event the next two years. Is this the last time we see him here?
0: I think so, yeah. I mean, people sometimes forget that he was actually outside the top 250 yeah. at the beginning of the year. I, you know, I, I was doing that top 100 list for 2023, like who I thought was going to break it. And actually feels felt like a bold call. And he does that. Of course, I think by the time he actually did it, it was like June or something like that, but he was super close after February. Not to
1: interrupt, but it was the back-to-back challenger finals, right? He makes a final, he wins a title right away in January.
0: And then back-to-back ATP 250 semis. That helps too. That was absolutely ridiculous, of course. And yeah, I kind of just consider him one of the guys who like have unlimited potential more or less. Um, someone pointed out to me recently that his backhand might be sort of holding him back the way it's that been for like Felix or maybe Tsonga, who actually is like an idol of his. And, you know, a lot of people compare them because of that sort of athletic ability that they have. By the way, I don't know if you've seen that, but like the, the video that they had, uh, Base Camp, the off-court competition where they just... Uh, mm. Like put the players to like a ten meter sprint, vertical jump, and a couple of probably the best thing we
1: got social media wise this year. That was exceptional.
0: Yeah, that was really entertaining. I don't think we actually learned all that much because like the results were very much. Um, like they responded with what I thought about all of the players uh, in terms of like their physicality, their speed, their agility. But uh, Fields won all the categories. And that actually was pretty <laughs> unexpected, I guess, that he would dominate it all that much. And uh, in a way, maybe that's what we learned. We sort of look at him in a different way from from in that regard as well. And yeah, with that super heavy forehand, you know, this year we had, because, because he finally, well, finally, Again, no, I can't say he finally got to main three events, but like that was my sort of level of excitement for him in 2022, where, you know, every feels loss felt like, why isn't he winning? Already, I mean, he's so talented. But anyway, once he got to the main tour this year and he actually played like Madrid-Rome, we got this um, second screen data from the ATP for uh, the heaviness, you know, for the top spin on the strokes of the players. And Fies actually was posting the highest numbers out of all the players on the tour, which is pretty crazy. You know, I, I, I knew that it's a great shot. I knew that it has a lot of, you know, spin, power, combo, weight of shot, if you may. And uh, I just didn't have an idea it was going to be, you know, that high. I mean, it was going to be higher than Roots, than Berrettini, than whoever um, is usually like right there in the right um, top corner of these graphs. So, um, yeah, I mean, with the the way he's been serving as well, you know, he plays a match against Tricker today and they basically have a very similar amount of unreturned serves. And um, I, I absolutely love his prospects. Ranking wise, I wonder, you know, if the first half of the next season is is going to be maybe a little tough for him because he has the you know all these things to defend really early. But I, I do have you know a lot of trust that once it all evens out. He should be back where he, you know, at least where he is right now. And yeah, I kind of fear that this might be his last next-gen finals. And as I I said earlier, I mean, he was the one guy that we were sort of like, I don't know if he's going to be too motivated to win this. I don't know if there's going to be the drive because, well, he is a bit above the rest of the field. But so far, I mean, yeah, other than that first set and a half against Nardi, but once he found his forehand range, also pumped himself up to get back into it. I think, you know, the body language started being a lot more positive. I absolutely consider him the favorite to win it now. I think pre-tournament, people were probably looking at Streaker and Fields for the most part. Well, Fields probably is first, streaker is second. But I think now there's like a clear edge. Maybe Streaker has like fallen a little bit, but, but Fields has a clear edge above the field ahead of the semis, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he beat Stricker today uh, in four sets. Now it was a tightly fought 4-2-3-4, 4-2-4-3 match, the sort of match you thought you'd see where Feith could just do a little bit more in and out of the corners. I mean, you talked about it athletically. He's just so fluid there. And, you know, again, looking at his numbers for the year, 42-22 and 22 now overall on this season, he goes 22-18 and 18 against top 100 competition, 7-11 and 11 against the top 50. For a guy who turned 19 years old this year, that's pretty darn good. You look at what he struggled at against elite competition. It wasn't the return of serve. He was actually pretty good on the return of serve against top 50 opponents. Now, he only broke serve 17.7% of the time. The average player, top 50 player, 193 for the year, so not that far off. Where he struggled was on the serve. He only held serve 75% of the time. That's about 5, uh, 6%, excuse me, lower than the average against a top 50 player. The numbers look similar uh, against top 100 opponents. And watching him this week, I just feel like that's going to get corrected so quickly. I have no concerns about his serve. And if that's where he was struggling this season, like you just look at the way he was able to match the plus one prowess of a guy like Stricker, the way he just completely overwhelmed Kaboli with his pace yesterday. When you give Arthur Fief time, he can just overwhelm you with his pace, with his athleticism, the action on the ball, the totality of things he can do. I actually don't think it's the backhand where he struggles. I think it's the forehand that gets a little bit pressured under pace. I think that's the side that sprays on him a little bit, Damian. If you're Arthur Fee going into the offseason, that's what I'm targeting as improvement. What are you looking at for him? Obviously, the first serve Getting in rhythm. I just think those things come. I think it's that forehand under pace. I know that's a small thing, but that's the detail I see. What do you see?
0: Yeah, I don't think it's really that small because if you look at him and like, I don't know, Australia is coming up. You know, it was so fast last year, uh, favored flat hitters quite a lot. And um, yeah, maybe that's why I'm sort of looking at him, you know, in terms of potential slam runs next year, maybe more so in Paris, New York. But yeah, uh, I mean, that's the sort of disadvantage you get with that extreme grip, with the sort of spin that he's able to generate. Then, you know, it, it, the motion can be a bit, a bit complicated, the grip, you might have issues, you know, just, just handling it with time pressure on you, obviously. Yeah, that, that's, of course, something to improve um, the backhand still. And uh, yeah, I think that the serve has just so much untapped potential still that's, there's, it's not going to be an issue. And with the backhand, I mean, he, he doesn't really need more from it than for it to just be solid. Like, that's but, really but what I he wants, right? But I do think it's
1: more than that. Like, I, I think he it, can it slice is, it, yeah. he can hit through it. He's one of those rare players, and it's because he's so strong. He can hit through the court, cross-court, Damien. Like, that's a rare trait for a guy to have. And He was he doing do it, it very
0: well today, definitely, against yes, Tika. Yes. That was, like, one of his best pocket matches, I guess, I've seen. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe it's already becoming just a solid weapon. And if he can maybe make that forehand just a little more compact, maybe a little adjusted. I'm not saying everywhere, but yeah. just, you know, whenever he's playing on grass... Or on a, a fast-bouncing court. I think he's also one of these guys who the, the conditions in Jeddah being so much slower than Milan, it also helps him. Yes, um, it, it, It's kind of hard actually to point out a player in the field who would actually love the conditions to be faster, maybe streaker. But other than that, they're all pretty comfortable in like this sort of slow indoor hard court. But feels, yeah, with that forehand, I mean, he definitely loves it. Just a touch on the slower side. And yeah.
1: I think maybe Mickelson. He'd be the last one who'd be like, you know, if we speed it up a little bit, it, it's going to hurt them more than it hurts me. So I'm down to speed it up. But no, I mean, I agree. I, Arthur Fee is going to be someone we talk about more in the off season because he's just the guy you circle above anyone else of who could make a jump yeah. from outside the top 10 to top 10 next season. He wins his first tour level title. And again, not a lot of points to defend at the slams where he's going to have opportunities at all of them this season. He's the favorite heading into the semifinals. Again, undefeated overall in group play. The other undefeated player in the end, Ahmad Medyanovic, who certainly ended his season with a mixed bag of results. Now, the semifinal match he played against Korda in Astana, that was quietly one of the more enjoyable matches we had post-US Open. And, You know, one of my favorite reactions I ever got on this podcast is from you when I used the word fluid in the corners the first time, and you're like, I like that. Um, Medjanovic, for a guy his size, Damian, he's pretty fluid in and out of those corners. And I just think he could do a little bit more than everyone else in his group, whether it was Mickelson, he was just the better mover in and out of the corners in what was probably the best match we had uh, so far at this next-gen finals Uh, You know, you look at a guy like Shelby. I just think his pace kind of overwhelmed Abdullah. And you know, again, I think Abdullah can be really good for an hour. I don't think he's good. He can sustain it for ninety minutes quite yet, the way you need to, the way he had to today against Medvedevich. You kind of saw him pull away in the fourth, and then the Vanasha discussion is fascinating because I don't know what his ceiling is yet. Like, does he have the weapons? I don't know. The backhand though, it's a delight. Anyways. Medvedev should have won this group, is what I'm trying to say. If you actually follow the results, yes, he was a lower seed, but I just think tennis-wise, the things he does on this surface, he, he's better than the other guys in his group. Did it shock you to see him go 3-0? And what do you think his ceiling is moving forward?
0: Yeah. I mean, I actually did some picks just before the event. They didn't exactly come out right, like in group A or whatever it's called, you know, whatever color I got the right sort of the two players that went through, I got them and the two that were eliminated, but just in wrong order. Whereas here, I guess I just overestimated Mikkelsen and that was the only... uh, Flop, because otherwise it's all you know, just like a headed. So I, I had Medvedev to talk the, to, to top the group. I've had a lot of belief in him. Absolutely, he was also one of the guys that I tried to, um, well, say that they they might debut in the top 100 this year. Felt like a bold pick. He had a few opportunities, like the match against Korda that you mentioned. But yeah, I said this on on Twitter like 20 minutes ago, and I'm going to repeat it. I think in the group he was like mostly battling his own demons rather than the opponents. Like, it just felt like he's so much better than everyone. Against Nicholson, of course, he blows the two set lead, uh, manages to get himself together despite the calf cramping. And um, yeah, against Vanash, it was like more of the same, but actually he steals the third set tie break, right? That's something uncommon for Majerovic. And um, other than the match that you mentioned against Korda, I mean, recently he's had some other nightmare losses after being up a break, a set. Um, against Benjamin Hassan, uh, what was it, Basel qualities, maybe um, there was also uh, the one that I watched live against Jakub Menchik in Dundee, where uh, he leads six, four, five, three. Menchik was actually struggling physically, but then he sort of you know returns to the match and um, he saves three match points, I think one in the second set, two in the third set. It was crazy. But that sort of, I mean, these sort of things happen to Medvedevich a lot. I think he's, well, a bit fragile mentally for now. And certainly he kind of struggles when the opponents can handle that pace. Like against Manshik, he was just blasting the forehand cross court every single time and would just come back. And there was nothing like that Medvedevich could do to break out of that. But obviously the brute force on his servant forehand is just ridiculous. That's something that really uh, like made me love his game from the get-go. Uh, I think out of all of these next gen finals contestants, he's like my best bet to be a con- like a constant pres- uh, presence on the top alongside with fees. Uh, just because like Streaker, of course, has the game, has the quality, but I don't know if I believe in him pulling it off consistently. The other five, I would put them like below these three in terms of, you know, pros- long term prospects potential. Whereas Medvedev, yeah, I just feel like in a, in you know in a year or two he definitely can be like just stay in the top 50. I just think he has the you know the weapons to do it easily. There's probably just a bit of of a rough edge, you know, in terms of experience, shot selection, the, the mental side of the game as well, for him to just sort of learn and grow. And um, I think some of that he's been doing already this year. Like he has this decent backhand drop shots that he's unleashing. Obviously, that's something well to help him finish off the points right i mean when he's dictating with the forehand he gets the opponent behind the baseline and then sort of just doesn't have to keep blasting anymore but yeah the the level that he showed in the groups was scary i don't know if he beats slicker since this might be just like a total surf fest and you know it feels like a more random match than feels against Vanash, no pun intended and um yeah, I, I don't know if he actually makes the final, but I would love to see it. Like, Fis Majedovic in the final, that's the sort of thing that we would want to see now after following this group stage, because they have been by far the best two players. And yeah, I, I'm, I am definitely impressed with what he did. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, proud. Sometimes I treat these young players as like, you know, my kids or something like that. Hmm. And yeah, I'm definitely proud of what Hamad did, because even though he was shooting himself in the foot, he still managed to prevail. And and I guess for now, that's that's enough. And yeah, it just never felt like any opponent really came close other than, you know, Majerovic losing his mind, which, yeah, happens a lot, but still fine. He did go out of the groups, of course, with a 3-0.
1: Three challenger titles, an ATP tour semifinal for him this season as well. Again, it's two ATP tour
0: semifinals. Yeah.
1: That's correct. And again, it's a flatter ball off of his racket, but it's the weight of his shot. It's the size. It's that it feels like he's always moving forward into the court, his ability to just overwhelm you. And that's what he did. He overwhelmed everyone in the group play here. It's interesting. You mentioned the division of tiers of prospects. <laughs> I think Arthur Fee is on his own level in terms of tiers at this event. Just He has to be unequivocally a guy who I think could be a tier one, like, hey, I'm hanging out with Alcaraz, Sinner, Runa, those guys of his generation. And by the way, again, he may not get to the top 10 as quickly as some of those other guys did after competing in this event. Here's the difference. He now has to go through them. It's those guys. It's the Medvedevs, Zverev Tsitsipasas of the world, Djokovic still up top as well. It's just a little bit more crowded than it was a few years ago. I mean, again, I would put him in his own category, Arthur Fee. Then I would have a group of three guys who I know are going to be top 100, who I think can get to the top 50. It's just a matter of how high can they climb from there. I think Medvedevich has to be in that group. The other two I would put in there are Mickelson and Streaker. And I actually have Streaker the highest of the three in terms of my prospect list because they're just... And you've gotten to see him a lot in person. I got to see him back in person in Cleveland when he won that Challenger title last season. And we watch a lot of tennis. Particularly, we're fortunate enough to get to go watch in-person tennis. There are some people who just hit the tennis ball better than everyone else. And his hands and just the ability to come over the top of the ball, to play the slice, to play the drop shot, to move forward, to hit the slice serve, to hit the kick serve, to hit the flat serve. He just has one of those shoulders. He has the feel. And it's just a question of how physical will he be able to become. And I guess my why I remain so high on him is I was lower on a guy like Fritz, and lower like a, on a guy like Tsitsipas, and to some extent a little bit lower on Sinner very, very early, but then things changed um, because I learned from my ways because I thought they were a little stiff in and out of corners. And you're just like, yeah, but he's still like, like a kid. Like, give him some time to grow into his body. Give him some time to change the diet, do all the things he has to do. And he's always going to have that ability to strike the ball. You saw it against Pass at the U.S. Open this year. Like, I just think of all the guys who also could get into the top 50, Streaker's always going to be able to play on his terms. To your point, the question is how long will he be able to do it and how consistently will he be able to do it? And I just think he's in control of that question, and that's why I'm the highest on him of the three. What do you think to that argument?
0: Yeah, I I, I expected that. I mean, I know (laughs) how much you value Streaker. You know, we've talked about it a few times for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I can see it. He actually did pretty well in these base camp. Tests like a little better than I expected, you know. Probably Mikkelsen was the one that was, you know, that had the lowest scores expected. Um, wasn't there. I mean, I know he also wouldn't be too high. Vanash was pretty low, and then it would be like streaker, but you know, that's fine. I mean, he, he, he physically, I mean, he definitely has. Some issues, but they, these issues usually don't stop him from actually playing. I mean, yeah. at the highest level, you know, he goes toe to toe with Cincy Bass for four hours. He has a great first say,
1: step; like he is quick. Yeah? he may not. He, be he is like, actually quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and so I, that I, uh-huh. that movement allows him to be on his front foot. To, he anticipates really well. Again, some people just freaking know how to play tennis. And he's one of those guys who, the, it, it reminds me of if Kozlov had weapons. That's streaker. Does that make sense?
0: No, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, even today, I actually said this that uh, like people sometimes think that Sticker because he's like you know maybe his physicality isn't that of a usual sort of tennis player. Let's say that you know in a polite way. Sure. Uh, people sometimes assume that he's slow, but like I literally said that like five hours ago that that he's actually super fast just moving to the ball. And, um, you know, it's it's not that, but yeah, even, even with that sort of physicality, he goes toe to toe for four hours. And um, sometimes it like forces him to maybe cheat his way out of a point, but he can totally do it. Like today against Thic- uh, sorry, against fees of course, he, for example, had like this trademark forehand down the line a few times, where I think for the most part, he is like sort of he needs to go for this huge down-the-line shot because there's no real way for for him to recover. But he can actually pull this off very consistently. And yeah, uh, someone like um, a couple of weeks ago, I think, texted me, will Streaker ever break the top 50? And I was wondering, is it really, you know, is is it a time where people actually can pose that question and it's sort of justified? And I actually don't think so. I think with streaker. Uh, We, as like the whole tennis community, we sort of backed ourselves into a corner because sometimes you just expect so much from these guys. And, you know, in 2021, Striker I think, won Lugano as his second challenger event. He makes back-to-back ATP quarterfinals on different surfaces as well, Geneva and Stuttgart. And I think we were just all expecting him to be, you know, top 100 in a month or something like that. And, but if you think about it, I mean, he's still on a great, um, you know, he, a trajectory, right. And, um, I don't, I I know there's this lack of consistency. I mean, it's perfectly exemplified by the fact that he made the US open round four, beat Tsitsipas, lost six matches in a row goes to Basel, beats Kasper Root, makes the quarters. But yeah, I just feel like there has to be at least a season in Dominic Stryker's career when he just fires up for a few months. You know, he, he just, everything is clicking and he definitely breaks the top 50 there. He probably does even a lot more. I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain it. I hope so. Uh, but yeah, I think um, having Streaker and Majerovic in that group behind fields is absolutely fair. Having Streaker as you know the highest guy, yeah, I absolutely get that too. Um, as I said, like the only reason is that I think that Majedović's game is like a lot more repeatable at least for now. I have absolutely ah you said you said Mikkelsen. okay, you said you said that. I I want to say that I have no clue who you have there. I'm not as optimistic. Maybe it's the next finals campaign that has sort of brought me down. But yeah, Streaker Streaker is definitely uh, you know just um, right up there. Uh, with Majedovic maybe even above him let's uh you know I, I can agree with that for for sort of different reasons that gener- that you know come into my uh thought process but um yeah i, I think it's absolutely um, out of the question that he never has that sort of a run where at the atp2 level he just peaks for a few months it, it's gonna happen and I hope it's going to happen sometime soon. And, and definitely, um, yeah, if he sustains it, he's actually going to be a threat to all of these guys. You mentioned Tsitsipas, Fritz. Dare I say that he's actually more talented than these guys? I think I can. And, uh, yeah.
1: No, I mean, he certainly strikes the ball as well as they do. And I think you have to put Mikkelsen in that group as well. And I want to go to him next because I hear your doubt. And I understand athletically he's just not where he needs yeah. to be. The fluidity's not there. He anticipates well. And here's the thing. When he gets his hands on the ball, something special happens. Because if he can get there, he can pass you any which way with the backhand, which he absorbs, redirects so well, can hit the slice, can hit the drop shot. Yes, the forehand grip is funky. But, man, when he gets his weight behind that shot, the weight of that shot, how he whips that forehand, there is some heavy topspin coming back at you. The serve is easy. The volleys are easy. Can hit the overhead under pressure. He's just not where he needs to be athletically. And it reminds me of Taylor Fritz all those years ago where it was just, again, hitting a tennis ball is not a problem. Just athletically, can you get to where you need to be? And Fritz has used some combination of, A, getting just quicker, quicker first step, a little bit more fluid in and out of corners, even if that still can be a problem for him against elite competition. Like, if Mickelson can get to that... Then it becomes Taylor Fritz, but he can volley. I mean, the forehand's not going to be what (laughs) Fritz's forehand is. But just the ability to dominate you with his weight of shot, the ability to just, again, impose his will, control the tempo of a match, which I think Mickelson does really well already. My only questions about him are physical. And again, give him an off-season in the gym where he's just doing squats entirely because he is like 6'2", 6'3". There are times when you wonder, is he done growing? Might he get to 6'4 4, 5, whatever it may be? Because he just looks like he hasn't finished growing. I don't know. He just has that look about him. Like, I'm actually two inches away. Still 19 years old. Like, again, the weapons. You just can't fake those weapons, Damien. That's what I start to learn over the years. And he has them.
0: Yeah, you actually kind of got to me with this, Fritz okay. comparison. Like, I- I've just always loved how all-rounded his game is. Like, for a tall guy, he's actually well, he, he can move in an efficient way, let's say. And like off the baseline, you know, it's very hard to grind him down. Um, I definitely didn't like at the next-gen finals how majerovic was just able to, you know, slam returns down the middle and Mikkelsen is not going to get away from that. I mean, he's just not going to have enough time. Um, yeah, I mean, even that base camp competition that I, mean, that I keep mentioning, uh, the scores he got there, yeah... I mean, But there, I think
1: there 19-year-old Fritz would have gotten those same scores.
0: Possibly, or maybe even worse, you know? It was just kind of... Maybe, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be like this, where he's just bottom every in everything. It was a little funny as well when he does the 10-meter sprint and he says, wow, that felt quick. <laughs> and then he's bottom of the table. But, you know, not to focus <laughs> on it too much. Um, I just wish he had a bit of a better showing here because with Mikkelsen generally for the past, you know, three months or so, it kind of felt to me like we're just not getting him really matched up against the players that the other Next Gen Finals contestants have been playing. You know, as well as I do, that um, these recent US challengers have been like a little stale in terms of their fields. You know, there was a moment in the last okay. three or four weeks where you basically had the same matchups time and time again. You know, Dennis Kudla, Tyson Kwiatkowski. Kipson, um, Quinn. Kipson, yeah. Uh, Mikkelsen even played Tomek two weeks in a row in the opening round. Um, it did feel like the the sort of range of opponents is pretty limited, and that's why I think everyone had tr- had issues like estimating how good Mickelson was going to be at the next-gen finals. Uh, that was actually you know, the aforementioned predictions that I did. That that's my biggest error, having Mickelson going out of the groups. Um, I think he only really had like a few games when he really showed what it was what he's all about. There was this, the in the second set that he actually lost against Medvedev. There was this re-break with a couple of sensational points, uh, sixth game, uh, a couple of uh, super backhand passes. I think, yeah, it, there was enough to still keep me excited, and I wish that Mickelson got as much publicity, as much uh, hype as Shelton did last year because it's literally the same story. I don't really think it's the same ceiling. um, I don't think he's going to make the u s. open semis or Australian Open quarterfinals next year. But if you're telling me that you know it it might take him a longer while to to, yeah, to settle these issues, I kind of buy into that, you know. I, I, I'm not even sure if, you know, by this time next year he's going to be eligible for the next gen finals. Honestly, you know, wouldn't be surprised if he has like a bit of a weaker campaign. But yeah, that theory with Fritz, I, I, I kind of understand it. I still don't think it's enough to put him alongside Striker or Fields or, or Medjerovic, but, um, yeah, maybe it makes me just a little less disappointed about the next-gen finals campaign, which just just felt really important because, yeah, it's the it's the first time really since the US Open that we get him against a different set of opponents than, you know, Charlottesville, Knoxville, Champagne, Tiburon. And there's nothing wrong with these challengers, of course. But, yeah, compared to Europe, most of the time the fields are a little weaker. A lot of these guys that we mentioned earlier, um, you know, they're not exactly the peak of their games, like Whitekowski or Kudla. Um, so yeah, I I mean, I just hope he gets more main tour opportunities next year and yeah, maybe, maybe we should just give him more time. Absolutely.
1: Fair enough. It's worth noting. Yes. He went 0 and 3, two of his losses were 4-3 in a fifth set. And so you know, again, a couple points go his way. All of a sudden, he's two and one. He's still playing, and now everything does look a little bit better for Alex Mickelson. We're going to rapid fire through the last four here. I'm going to throw a take at you. You say, agree, disagree, or why? Flavio Caboli, second best athlete we have at this event. Agree or disagree?
0: Uh, possibly. I think the best. The base camp thing also um, said that. Um I don't know if that actually speaks well, you know, about his prospects from here. Uh, hmm. But yeah, he, he performed well at the next gen finals, more, better than I thought. Um, I think, um, especially if it was a faster indoor hardcore, he would have some issues keeping up with the guys. But the shot making talent is absolutely there. I just think um, most of the time he's better on clay because he can sort of cover up for himself, for his you know, being erratic and just maybe not really being able to use the weapons that he has yet in the most efficient manner. But uh, yeah, I'm actually sort of disappointed with myself that I didn't trust him more in 2023, because I didn't think that that bounce back season was going to be this good, uh, you know, and his um, his backhand
1: against Stricker was exceptional. And he can just move. And that's half the battle. He's a top 50 athlete. I think the tennis is there as well. You're right against a players with bigger weapons, that forehand's a little bit of trouble right now. But I have actually think I've liked him next most of anyone else in the group, maybe even more than Mickelson at this event. Again, rapid-fire take here. Luke Nardi, I don't know if I see top 100 in him quite yet. I just don't think athletically he's where he needs to be.
0: He's going to get there, I think, in mm-hmm. first half of 2024. But if you ask me whether I think he's going to be there at the end of 2024, I'm not so sure, yeah. Um I think Nardi he's a little lightweight and it is a problem only because he's trying to play like a very aggressive game and that's what he should do like that's what he has the talent for but the main issue is that sometimes it's just really hard to compete to keep up with you know players who can overwhelm him um, especially I mean Striker, it was a big disappointment, uh, you know, the performance against him because he recently beat him in Bratislava, like sustained the pace and all of these high octane rallies. Here he actually didn't manage to do it, and the lefties especially seem to be able to just expose his backhand quite a lot. Against Fius, you know, it held up in the cross-court exchanges, but against someone like Striker it just didn't at all. And uh, yeah, I I just really like his top 100 prospects for 2024 because the ranking situation is like that. Like in the first half of the year, he literally has like Monte Carlo round two plus Pune final. It's like 135 points. He, of course, got himself going in the latter half of 2024. If just, you know, over the years he develops something exceptional in his game. Sure, but like right now, I just don't know if I see it because he's still a very talented player. You know, people once thought that he's as good as Alcaraz or Rune. But there's just nothing really that stands out for the most part. And once he's not getting that first strike in and it can be hard to get the first strike in when you're a little lightweight. Yeah, um, definitely. I'm a little disappointed as well with the next-gen finals because I thought that he was going to be the one to threaten to leave the group it was actually Koboli, i guess although of course um eventually it's a you know they're they're both out and uh it, at least it's good for him that he got that one final win right and on a high note he also hit a sensational one-handed mm-hmm. pass there uh gonna be mentioned as with, like one of the shots of the season so good for him uh but of course losing to in 54 minutes to Stryker, especially that uh, given that it was the shortest match in the history of the event yeah not ideal
1: I completely agree. Abdullah Shelby, my take is he will be a top 100 player. It's not going to happen for the next two years. Like, I like his game. Mm-hmm. It's just the consistency. It's not there yet again. He's still very young. Lefty can work you off the court. I am still think he's two years away, though.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be next year either. Um, in two years' time, maybe. Um, I mean, he definitely liked the Jeddah conditions a lot more than he would Milan. That was, like, one of my main... Um, you know, takeaways in the predictions that I did, as I said, like, Shellbike, if the court speed is fine for him, yeah, maybe. I actually said that, you know, he was going to be eliminated, but not with a 0 free record, which came true, but not in a way that I thought it would, Would just because I thought that was probably going to be like a one Hartford battle and the other two, you know, maybe he's going to lose it, you know. Pretty in a pretty simple manner, but yeah, I I love how he held up. I mean, if he gets time, if he gets the space to sort of work his magic and just uh, you know lure you forward. I mean, just come up with these sick drop shot lob combos and just use all of that court craft, the touch, the variety. I definitely like his prospects there, and I think still the even though he didn't get out of groups, the performance at the Next Gen Finals. You know slower court yes sure but it still really makes us think that okay so yeah going forwards this guy will actually be able to hold up against most of these guys on the main tour you know and then uh, yeah that's that, that's a good, good cool thing to have i think he just gets a lot of positives out of these the, this next year finals showing but yeah next year i wouldn't be uh picking him as a potential top 100 prospect yet mm-hmm.
1: I I like to hear it. All right. Well last one for you. Luca Van Asha will never it's crack a tough one the, will never crack the top twenty-five. That's my take.
0: Ooh, ooh. <laughs> mm-hmm. I honestly have called myself a Luca Vanash hater a few times. And it's <laughs> it's not because I'm a proper hater, but it's beforehand not really believe in him. I just don't believe in him. Um, I just don't know, see the
1: weapon. I don't know how yeah. he's going to control things. He will be very good at taking away one thing you want to do. But, you know, again, yes, he can connect on the backhand beautifully, beat you down the line with it at times. Everything he does is reactive, never proactive. And that's just, you can't do that in the top 25.
0: Yeah, and that's why I, I always just try to say, um, maybe not be as uh, strict or harsh as you, have, as you are now. Damn. I just try to say, in his current state... No, in his current state, I don't think he's going to hold up on the main tour. People say, no, he he made two ATP quarterfinals. Yes, indeed. One of them was an ATP 500, Hamburg. Then, of course, the the last week of the year in uh, Metz, But um, I think especially in Mets, there was just a lot, like the the stars had to align for him together. He saved match points, I think, against uh, Bodding van de maybe. And um, his overall record on the main tour, I think this year is like 916 and that's the way I sort of expect him to keep going in 2024. He has a couple of Challenger 125 titles that are soon going to be off his ranking. Yeah, I, I don't really feel like he's going to make much progress in 2024. I think it might be a bit of a lull. I consider I also compared him in the past to Chun-Sin Tseng, that um, this is the sort of player who gets to the main tour very early. Well, Tseng maybe had some, some minor issues getting there, but like gets to the main tour isn't ready yet is going to fall back not to the point where Seng is i think he's just too all-rounded for that i guess i mean he's just super solid obviously and effective but um yeah he wasn't really one of the favorites for me at the next gen finals i had him like a let's say a provisional number two in the group along with mickelson just because as i said mickelson was so tough to estimate so I'm not surprised he's in the semis, but I would be very sho- shocked if he wins the title. Like, I just feel like he's going to come up against the sort of guys right now who at this stage are just too good for him. And yeah, um, I guess I'm not a big Luka Vanash hater then because I always say that, yeah, in his current state, you know, I give him time. Um, there, there were many players in the past, you know, who didn't really have the weapons, but ended up being very high from his country, let's say Gilles Simon, out of the musketeers you know probably not a player who when people looked at him at like 18 or 19, they were like, okay, top 10 and such a strong career for years. So I, I, I'm i sort of keeping my options open, let's say. But yeah, I I don't think he's going to progress much in 2024. And I would also expect him to lose to Fields pretty comfortably tomorrow. Well, he he beat him, of course, in that Garros final, but that was quite a long while ago. And Fields as the sort of more explosive, less consistent player, definitely in juniors, would have had more issues than, than Van Ash and Van Asch just feels like the sort of textbook junior who's ridiculous when he's 17, 18, 19. But then for the next two years, it's kind of hard to improve from, from that point. He's very mature for 18 or 19, but is he going to be mature for 21? I don't think so.
1: I think the fact that they get to go head to head is very, very fun because they're the two best French young men's French prospects, excuse me, in quite some time. And look, I don't think he's going to be top 25. I think he's going to be top 100 for a long time. Physically, he has it. He's in the fight. He knows how to win points, which is really ultimately what this game is about. He knows how to do that. He doesn't know how to control points yet, and it's very difficult for him to do so. Although I do like the serve, he's a springy athlete. Again, if he beats Fee tomorrow, that would be a really nice ending for him to get some momentum heading into 2024. My last question for you before, unfortunately, I have to go. You did a lot of fun interviews throughout the course of this season. Uh, Many of them, if not all, can be heard on this Challenge GSP podcast feed, your Monday show. Again, talking all things ATP Challenger Tour. Who stood out the most to you? Give me one interview that will stick out to you as you reflect on this 2023 season.
0: It's good you said one, because I literally have one in my head. Although recently I was thinking of of, of that, and, um, and maybe someone asked me that, I can't remember. And I, I remember I had a second example as well. But let's stick with one, since uh, for, for now I only have one. And actually it would be Tyro Daniel in uh, Kariari. I think he's just well for for one thing he is really excited to talk to you or at least seems that way and i think the responses the answers that i got from him were definitely some of the most interesting things i've heard from a player um one question was about um well the actual match he played mackie mcdonald's you know on clay uh, earlier like four years earlier or something like that he played in barcelona and the score lines were like basically reversed and Taro tarot talked like it was really interesting how he talked about the fact that he thought that in barcelona he played too much like a clay quarter and also talked about varying the the height of the ball here to try to throw off maki's timing you know which makes a lot of sense of course maki is pretty poor on clay with the flat hitting i don't think he won a match on clay this year and then uh, I also chatted to him about the, like sort of comparing his win against Djokovic in Indian Wells to the th- the ones that he had this year. So like Rudds, Zverev, Berrettini, and he um, sort of brought up this thing where uh, he didn't really understand how he was beating Djokovic, and he felt that it was like a gift from heavens, you know. Hmm. And this time, actually knowing that he's there with the level. Which I, I I sort of I've sort of been pushing this agenda that this was actually the best season that Tara Daniel ever had in terms of his playing strength. Of course, he had an ATP 250 title and a Djokovic win in the past. So there are a lot of good counter-arguments as well to that. Uh, I just feel like if he maybe focused his schedule more on challengers, he probably would be higher up. But you know, actually in a different Taro Daniel interview in 2022, also on the show in Braunschweig, yeah. he said why he's not doing that. And he sort of felt that he's too old to uh, chase down points anymore. And, you know, I I can understand that. He kind of did that at the beginning of the year, right? To secure the Australian Open in Japan. And I think there was also a question, like, um, because Taro is one of these players, like whenever I see him at an event, he just shows up at um, a lot of random matches and just watches. And so I asked him, you know, whether he's one of the players whose, uh, like, passion extends way beyond playing. And he also said a few like very interesting things about um, he, that, that he's like checking the scores a lot. And, and because he's in that sort of ranking range where he's like on the verge of making a slam every single time, he actually does it a little too much because like every result can impact his you know situation for the next month or so. And um, yeah, he, he said about like, like um, you know, he said a lot of interesting things as well about this, like just checking this course a lot and uh, sort of working out the permutations, which maybe a tennis player shouldn't really be focusing on. Uh, but I think that was some of the most interesting answers for sure. And um, yeah, it, it definitely helps that, of course, he's a native speaker of English. But um, I think the main thing is just there's some enthusiasm that you cannot fake really and like it just seemed to me like you know he's actually interested in the questions and like comes up with answers that you know are thought out and like yeah he he's just excited to talk to you which of course is great I, i'm not saying most players aren't excited to talk to you but you know they're like yeah i mean of course yeah we could chat um which is natural i mean if i was a tennis player i also probably wouldn't just jump at the occasion to talk to somebody right but Taro really makes you feel sort of welcome and uh Yeah, I I think that was was probably one of the most interesting things that I got. I had like numerous quotes I could pull out of that and just put on Twitter, you know? Sometimes it's a struggle to find one (laughs) and Taro gave me a lot of good content there. I think maybe the second example that I um, had, maybe I just remembered it, that was Ben Shelton also in Cagliari, actually. But that was more so, I mean, Ben was very cool and all. But I think that was more so because I just knew that I have to do this because, well, it's Ben Shelton. Like, I I just gotta talk to him. I gotta get him on the show. The same way I had um, Holger Runa in 2021. You know, you just have these guys on the Challenger Tour where you feel like they're not gonna be playing Challengers for much longer. So you sort of wanna just tick them off. And um for Ben it was just super easy to come up with questions, right? Because there were so many storylines regarding him uh, in, in in my in May 2023. Yeah. and and even now, I mean, if, if someone gives you um, you know, the, the task to do an interview with I don't wanna say I don't know, I mean let's say baby Zhukaev. You know, he's a fun player, Uh, definitely you're going to find some, but still, you're going to take a while. Whereas Ben Shelton, I just feel like every single tennis journalist would be able to just, you know, get a piece of paper and write down 10 questions in a minute, just because the storyline around him is just so exciting and there's every um every possible question the word really so so probably these two i would say and it's actually you know a coincidence that they are both from from cagliari but i guess that was also because well it was the big challenger 175 right so but yeah taro daniel i would say in general has been one of the most interesting uh interviewees i've i've had
1: Well, you've gotten so many good ones over the course of the year. And again, the work you do, we are so immensely grateful for. So Damien Coost, it is always a pleasure to be joined by you. Be safe, be healthy, my friend. And this will not be the last time we see you this offseason. So I look forward to talking to you again in the near future.
0: Look forward to that too. Yeah, thank you.
1: Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation talking all things next-gen ATP Finals with our dear friend Damien Couste. Thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat with us hear him each and every Monday on this podcast feed talking all things ATP Challenger Tour. Of course, a thank you, as always, as well to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A thank you to him and a reminder you can see more and hear more of his work across our various podcast feeds, whether it's the mini break podcast feed, or of course the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, as well as our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, where we have plenty of fun content on the horizon. With all of that said, though, for the fantastic Damien Kust, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.